welcome to episode 24 of the About IBD podcast. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 1989 and had two-step J-pouch surgery in 1999. I'm the IBD expert for VeryWell.com. If you head over to VeryWell, you can search for almost any topic on IBD and you will find something that I have written about it. If you want to know more about my disease journey, you can go to AboutIBD.com. Today, I have an episode that I recorded at Healthy Voices in Chicago with the creator of Inflamed and Untamed, Sarah Ringer. Sarah has had a succession of diagnoses, starting first with ulcerative colitis, which led to J-pouch surgery. Later, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and then most recently with chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction. She'll explain her disease journey to you, and we talk a lot about how what goes on online is not reflective of what's going on in our real lives, and how she copes with the pushback that she gets after she shares honest things on her social media accounts. So without further ado, I bring you Sarah Ringer of Inflamed and Untamed. Your first diagnosis was ulcerative colitis. Yeah. When you were a child. Yes. How long did it take to get that diagnosis? Oh, a long time. So I've started going in and out of the hospital when I was 10 months old. My first hospitalization was when I was 10 months old. Nothing huge was thought about that at the time. Thought I just had like the flu or something. Um, but it kept happening every year throughout my childhood. Unfortunately, we weren't going to the best hospital. So I was in and out of the hospital throughout elementary school with digestive issues. So diarrhea, dehydration, uh, constipation, vomiting was a huge thing for me. Uh, but I didn't get a diagnosis. And then when I was about nine or 10, I got a little break from the hospital and then symptoms got worse. So I would started seeing the blood and my bowel movements a lot um, when I was a preteen and pain that would just knock me to the ground. But I was really embarrassed about the blood. I didn't want to talk about it. Um, I guess a big part of that was just the age that I was. You're very self-conscious when you are a preteen and everybody's very hyper aware of how they look and wanting to fit in. So seeing that blood, like I just thought that that was really gross. Didn't want to talk about it, but it kept happening and it was very scary. I knew like that's not supposed to happen and the pain was a lot. So I finally did tell my mom we went into my pediatrician. She wanted to, she actually said before I even did anything, well, I, I'm thinking you have inflammatory bowel disease. Which I don't know if that's the best thing a doctor can do is say something like that out loud. So I already had in my mind like, oh my gosh, like something's going on. But anyway, I did stool tests and um, from there just went through some testing and I got my initial diagnosis, which was ulcerative colitis. And how old were you at that point? I was 13. So it took you... <laughs> it took me basically 13, 13 years. years to get yeah. a diagnosis. Yeah. And we don't know if my childhood stuff was from IBD. I also have another digestive True. disease. The symptoms overlap, so it could be either one. Nobody knows. Right, right. Yeah, so we'll get there. So, yeah. yeah. So this all started when you were very young. Yeah. And then, because usually with ulcerative colitis, as soon as you start having the bloody stools, like 
they get it, that's the path, right. and it's not a parasite or a bacteria or something like that, right. then they get it, and you, at the time, were living in Michigan, yeah. which is child with bloody stools in Michigan. Yeah, ulcerative but it took that long to get there. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened next? Okay, so I got diagnosed when I was 13. Um, back then, this was the almost the mid-90s or about the mid-90s, so treatment available for IBD was pretty much steroids, 5-ASAs, um, you could do Imuran and, and 6-MP, so I just, you know, did cycles of on and off steroids and 5-ASAs, um, which I felt like weren't doing a thing, and they probably weren't, and that was kind of me growing up for a while. I tried Imuran, but never did biologics or anything until, you know, just my disease got totally out of control, and I wound up in surgery. Mm-hmm. What What age was the surgery for so you? So that was when I was 26. So it, that was a long span of time between 13 and right. 26. Right. But Really? So yeah. 26? Yeah. So was I. I know. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, both from Michigan. We were both 26. I know, right? It's like, uh, we're living like parallel lives. I'm copying you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am a little bit older. Um, yeah, so, and you had how many steps? Two steps. Two step J pouch surgery. Yes. And I think that was a mistake, but that's another story for another time. Well, at the time, what year was it? That was, gosh, then everybody can calculate how old I am. All right, you don't have to um, say. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a while ago. Because mine was in 99, and there really was not a three step at that time. So mine was. Mine was not even 10 years later. Yeah. It was 2008, so almost. Okay. Um, there yeah. was three-step. The surgeon that I had trained at the Cleveland Clinic, he was very good, but I came into my surgery so sick, like in the worst condition, and I probably needed a three-step and just going into the surgery and the condition that I was, which it was an emergency surgery. I didn't come into the hospital even thinking that I was going to walk out without a colon, but um, just... As bad as I was, I got a lot of complications post-surgery, and I think a lot of that was just being on steroids for a year prior and being underweight and just how bad I was doing. It just didn't go well at first. Right. So you get your J-pouch. Yep. Did they ever tell you this was kind of the be-all, end-all? Yes. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking I have ulcerative colitis, and everybody back then and prior to that, they were saying to me, and my surgeon even said to me, as soon as we take out your colon, your life is going to change. You are going to be cured. Everything is going to be amazing. You're going to be so happy. And that didn't happen for a lot of reasons. First of all, I had a lot of issues um, post-surgery. I, went, I was in the hospital for six months, um, just complication after complication. He said, you're going to feel so great when you wake up with your ostomy. And that was not my case. And then my second step was an emergency surgery because I was having issues with the ostomy and adhesions and they started strangling my small bowel and created a full blockage. So I had my takedown surgery a little bit early. And then when I got my J pouch, still things were not good for a couple of reasons. Um, my motility disorder, so I have a motility disease called chronic intestinal pseudoobstruction. Um, that became ever apparent, like, most people, when you get a J pouch, and especially right after surgery, you're going to the bathroom a lot more than 
somebody with a colon or a healthy person, you're going to go to the bathroom more. It's just not like you were when you had ulcerative colitis and you were bleeding and rushing. But, um, but I was not going to the bathroom. So they had to stick a drain like through my rectum. Well, not, I didn't have a rectum anymore, but through my butt into the J pouch to drain the contents out because I wasn't going to the bathroom. So that was going on. And like, that's still an issue today, my J pouch. I mean, people probably think I'm lucky because I have a J pouch and I use the bathroom if I'm lucky once a day, but usually less than that. And that sounds like the dream, right? But it's not because it creates a lot of problems. But I also had Crohn's disease and that wasn't discovered until three years after my surgery. So I, I went for a while still with active IBD until I came in one day and well, I actually went to a different hospital because I was having issues at my previous one and they just weren't looking. They gave up and they probably thought this girl's just coming in and saying she's in pain and stuff and we don't, we're not even gonna bother looking. So I went to a new hospital. They scoped me and I had Crohn's all over my J pouch, all throughout my small bowel, as far up as they scoped. It was really bad, really friable and bleeding and falling apart. But I got my diagnosis, they put me on biologics, and I've been pretty good ever since then. Just an occasional issue, but nothing bad. And I couldn't be happier, so. When they discovered that your J pouch was in such poor condition, did they ever talk to you about removing it? No, never. Um, they put me, because I was in the hospital, so they put me on solumedrol, which is a steroid. I'm sure everybody listening knows. Um, so IV steroids, and then I started Remicade a few days after that, and I got back into remission, or I got into remission probably for the first time in a long time, and that that was great, and I've been doing great ever since. I did have to change biologics um, since then, but I'm good. So it's interesting to me that you say you're doing great. <laughs> I'm good with <laughs> IBD. Well, because you have uh, such a positive attitude towards it because you're sitting across from me right now. You should see me at home. I can see. <laughs> There's yep, no well, positive I mean, attitude you know, there. You have your port. You're on total parenternal. Parenteral. Par- parenteral. It's a hard, it's I, a hard I word to say. say parenteral. I will just say TPN. You're on. You don't yeah. eat. No, I can. There are days where I can eat a very minuscule amount of food. And I say I can eat loosely because I can eat, but I'm going to suffer for anything that I put into my body. I could not put a thing in my body and even the gastric juices and contents don't go anywhere. And that creates an issue. And that's why a lot of people with my disease have drainage tubes. And this is because of the SIPO. Yes. And when was that finally diagnosed? So that was diagnosed and and we have no clue which disease came first um, because they're both GI diseases and and a lot of symptoms do overlap with IBD. But when I had my J pouch surgeries, like that was a huge red flag that things weren't working. And it was my surgeon actually after a few months of going through this and just not understanding why isn't her j like she's he would come in and say i've never seen a patient like you i don't know what to do i'm calling my (laughs) my old colleagues at cleveland clinic trying to see if anybody's seen something like this but it was after a a few months of going through that that he brought up for the first time chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction everything matched up with what that is it's a very rare motility disease um 
one of the hallmark signs is really dilated loops of bowel. And, and that happens for a lot of reasons. So if somebody has that, it doesn't mean you have SIPO, which is how I abbreviate chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction because that's a mouthful. I mean, a temporary ileus looks like that, uh, blockages look like that. So you have to kind of do multiple things to test for it. But I have a super dilated small intestine. Like mine is bigger than what a colon should be. It's eight and a half centimeters in some places and a normal small bowel should be two centimeters. So it's, it's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, which also leads to uh, your belly is distended. It's yes. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's and, very painful. Right. Very painful. Uh, yeah. condition. Yeah. So, and I remember though, you went through a lot of testing and you were yes. having tests that, okay, I'm a medical writer and editor and you were having tests that I was like, I have no idea what, right. what that is. Right. Well, one of them is only done at a few places in the country. So yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. And I do want to say for your listeners, because a lot of people will listen to me talk about this illness and say, oh, well, I have, I have bloating. I get distended. I, you know, sometimes like these things happen, but it's a condition where your peristalsis doesn't work. So the peristalsis is the waves that move food and fluid and contents through your body. My peristalsis doesn't work because of visceral neuropathy. So I don't have the muscle contractions pushing stuff through me. And I actually have a part of my duodenum that pushes stuff up instead of down. I have reverse motility in an area. <laughs> so that's what creates the distension is things are not moving through me. And that's why I don't use the bathroom. And and they're, they have to come out somehow. So I vomit a lot and there's a lot of nausea. And, and that that's why I have intestinal failure and I'm on TPN. Right, right. And what do they tell you in regards or have you even asked about a prognosis? So the normal prognosis for this disease is that it's a progressive disease. Um, it's really, it's scary. Um, coming to terms with this has been really hard. I sound positive when I talk about it um, because I don't want to come to your podcast and be like, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, you could know, cry. It's but all the, right. Behind closed but no, doors, get, you know. I, yeah. It's, well, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a serious disease and it's so rare. And I'm like, how the heck did I, like one digestive disease wasn't enough. Like I had to have like some other well, thing. Well, you're on your third, technically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with IBD, I feel like there's a lot of hope for patients right now. And the disease does go into, rem and like it goes into remission and flares. So people do get little breaks. And if you're lucky, and a lot of people can do well with IBD now. And, and find the thing that puts them into remission and gives them a good quality of life. But this other d disease that I have, I don't feel that hope because there's no treatment, because it's progressive and it's, it's, it's scary. Like, I don't know what the future is gonna be. So the big thing is if, is if things get worse, what they do is they do a, a transplant, an intestinal transplant, but success rates for those are not the greatest. So. Right, yeah, like we know people who have been on both sides of the intestinal transplant where it's gone well. Yeah. And then it has gone not so well. Yes. I remember the day that you told me that you were in intestinal failure. Yes. I was 
terrified for you. Like <laughs> that terrified me. And I was trying to put myself in your shoes and imagine what that would feel like to have those words. It's bad enough having the IBD and feeling like your body's failing you. And then there's yeah. not much they can do, especially you and I in the time, the pre-biologic uh, age, yeah. let's call it that. Let us tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> when it really felt like there was no hope at all. Okay. And even when they started talking colectomy to me at 16, like I felt like as soon as you got diagnosed and it got bad and you were hospitalized, they automatically started talking colectomy yeah, to me. And I, but I even felt like that's not, that's another treatment and not a great one. And it just, it did. It felt very hopeless at yeah. times and as though your body was giving up on you. And what 16 year old wants like that major surgery that totally changes their life right that's that's your option yeah 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 that's that's your option yeah or in and out of the hospital or right worse things complications yeah. that could occur so so coping with it has been i think it takes a long time to come around to the acceptance oh definitely yeah 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 and that's something i'm sure everybody across chronic illness conditions can relate to yeah or even perhaps not accepting it in a yeah. way. Yeah. So like you were saying, it, t it takes time. And that's something that I tell other people when I'm talking to them about acceptance. Um, that was how it was for me with IBD. And I accept IBD. I wonder, though, if that's because my health isn't... A, better condition but what if I was still doing really really bad how would I feel about it you know um, but it does take time but I got there with my other condition I I could I, like I still can't accept it sometimes like I I refuse to believe it um, it's really just it it doesn't even seem real that I have something that that is this uh, it's just crazy. And with where my health was last year, I'm doing a little bit better this year, but I was doing really bad last year. And I just felt like so scared. Like I have intestinal failure. I couldn't handle anything going into my body. And it, it was just horrible. Um, so yeah, I think I just got on a tangent there. I don't know where I was going with that. No, but they, I, they I... wanted me to land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, last year, it was so, it was so hard. Like, here I am. I'm like, oh, it was, it was so hard watching you decline, you know, like, and you're the one that was going through it. But it really was, um, especially because we're not um, geographically close. I know. So it was difficult to, to watch that from afar. But also, um, I wonder about... For instance, on your Instagram, <laughs> I, I think this the was wild, on wild Instagram, <laughs> but um, sometimes you'll post like little videos of like, oh, what should I have for dinner? And then you yeah. open the refrigerator and it's all like your TPN, <laughs> TPN bags. And, or TPN. <laughs> and do you ever get any pushback from people? Like I'll laugh and I know that it's funny. It's meant to be funny and this is how you're coping with it. But do people ever push back to you and say, I don't find that funny or this is serious not on that, but okay, Instagram, 
I don't know. That's the crazy place on the. I, I shouldn't say that, but they're they're in, all they they all have their little corner of wild. Instagram is tough. I've gotten pushed back on on a lot of things because people view things differently, and that's fine. Um, but you know, I'm just I'm just gonna do me. I've always just been. I've been me, uh, and people can like it or not. Obviously, I don't want to offend anybody. That's never my intention. But if it's something like that where I'm just, you know, showing showing TPN or TPN for dinner, you know, I'm joking around. Probably maybe that's my way of coping with things and, and dealing with it. And I can understand if somebody in a similar situation sees that and, and doesn't find it funny because, you know, they're feeling down at the time or, or upset and, and, and that's fine. And I'm willing to listen and have somebody say that to me. And, and hopefully we can talk. Um, unfortunately, not everybody on Instagram is, is good about having um, mature conversations. But <laughs> if we could just, you know, find a, find a common ground and, and, and then I can explain, well, this is why I did that. But I totally see how you feel. And, and I'm sorry for what you're going through. But Right, because... Being in the digestive disease community, we follow, obviously, a lot of people who have very serious conditions, such as SIPO or, you know, other conditions. And you have to find that place of acceptance and hope, or it's just like this never-ending existential dread in what what are you going to do about it. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I struggle with that in my advocacy. I don't know if you do, but there's there's this fine line or this balance that you have to have with what you share because I know when I'm going through the tough times, my content probably seems like doom and gloom, but I'm just talking about what my reality is and and that's what it is at the time, but I don't want to I don't want to come off as like that's all there is and and everything is negative. So I I struggle sometimes finding that balance because I do want patients to come across my content and and see a little bit of themselves in it and relate to those things because everybody is going through hard times. At, and if they came across me and I was totally positive, they wouldn't relate to that. So you have to find this balance of, of sharing the good and the bad. Right, which, which is a challenge. And then if someone comes across one of your social media outlets on a day when you're not doing as well and then that's all they see was that day when yeah. that was a bad day I mean I was sick of myself on Instagram you know like I I was like why am I complaining all the time but I was just having like a bad year last year and that's just, all I had to say you were just being honest yeah. and I think there is a danger of it being only about when major downturns happen yes because when you start to feel better, maybe you're not as compelled to share the better. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, so I think it's important that we do also share the better as well as yeah, the and especially in the IBD community because because that's how it goes, and and it's it's so important to share that good times. And I that's a big part of my focus because the internet, and I know you do this too. The internet is full of such. I don't know. It's, it's, it can get one-sided sometimes, especially like in the J-Pouch community, right? Because people are only coming online when things are going bad. And so J-Pouches have this negative reputation that 
oh, if I get one, I'm gonna do really bad and they don't work and they fail. And that's not true. The statistics are very positive, but because people come online when they are doing bad and they're looking for support and they wanna talk about what's going on, um, that's the content people see. And nobody's, you know, not nobody, but a few people are coming on to say like, hey, I have a J pouch and, and life is really great and I'm able to work and I'm doing this and that. Or, you know, I have Crohn's disease and it was really severe, but I found a treatment that's working great for me. And now my life is like this. I think it's so important that we we share that stuff too, so that that the patient out there who is struggling, maybe newly diagnosed and has been struggling for a while, can see that things can get better. And they usually do for, for most people who have IBD. Right. At this point, we have access to so many treatments. And if one is not working, which happens because of just we don't even have it down as to where we know what treatment is going to work for one for an individual person because we don't know the structure of their IBD, which is different than someone else's IBD. And so I also struggle in the J pouch community a lot because whenever I see someone who is afraid to have their takedown surgery and have their J pouch connected or people that are afraid to have the surgery in the first place, they think Uh they're just going to go for the end of the ostomy and leave it there, which is, it's an extremely personal choice and yeah. You know, I don't have any right to tell anyone what to do, but sometimes I feel as though they don't have the whole picture. Oh, definitely. And when you go in and you see your surgeon, of course, they're going to tell you the things that can go wrong. You need to be informed, but it tends to skew a little bit in that way instead of telling you, well, 95% do well. Right. Exactly. So those statistics are important and and we, like you and I, obviously, we're both sitting here. We both have J pouches. Um, we've had certain issues along the way, and, but we dealt with them and, and and fixed those things. I love my J pouch. I think it works great. It, my motility disorder is what keeps me from like uh, functioning right. But my J pouch itself is fantastic. And nothing would change um, if I got an ostomy. I'd still have the same problems. But um but we both have plenty of friends. I mean, you and I aren't the only people here who have J pouches. We have plenty of friends in our real life who have J pouches. We see them all the time. Um, and the majority of people that I know in real life and on the internet with the J pouch are doing pretty good, really well. Um, and that's the truth of J pouches is, is they work. And I know lots of people that I've met long ago when I was first facing the surgeries and was reaching out on the internet. And I know plenty of people from those days who have J pouches now and we're Facebook friends or Instagram friends or whatever we are. They don't ever talk about their J pouches. It's not a thing. Right. Because they just it's just it's, who they it's are just, now. It's just part of their life and they've dealt with it and it's fine. Yeah. The only time would be occasionally someone will reach out to me and say, do you think this is patchitis? You know, something like that. Yeah. And then they'll go and get it managed and then move along. Right. And then I maybe won't hear anything about J pouches from them for years. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, some people haven't had great experiences, but that that's in the minority right otherwise they're the minority they're successful i always thought too like why not try it 
that's how I feel you know? about it. And even, <laughs> even you know, when I was starting to have problems, and <laughs> I'm still of two minds about this, but one of my physicians said to me, well, you got 17 good years out of it. And I kind of felt like, yeah, you're, you're right. However... <laughs> That doesn't make me feel good right now no. that I'm, you know, struggling right. with patchitis. So, yeah, I, you know, that's, I think that's a way to look at it too, is that even if, even if it's not something that is going to last 30, 40 years, if right. it does last 20 years, maybe I mean, that's worthwhile. Even if it doesn't work, I don't know, I was always like, even if it doesn't work right away. I would always wonder, like, I wanted to try it because then I know, like, then I wouldn't always be wondering what would have happened if I had a J-pouch. Because if it doesn't work, then you could always go back to the ostomy, right. you know? But yeah. why not yeah. try? You can always but, go back. But I get why people yeah. don't want to. It, it it makes sense. But for me personally, it makes more sense to, to just see. Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about it, too. So I know that you do sometimes get pushback from patients. And I think probably the biggest one for you is that whenever you make a post about that you're actually out doing something fun. <laughs> yeah, the other days. <laughs> that you actually get to go and do something like we're here in Chicago for Healthy right. Voices, yeah. um, which is an important conference where we get to meet up with obviously other people we know with IBD, but then we also get to look outside of our digestive disease silo and meet meet people who have HIV or arthritis or diabetes. So it's important that we come and that we can all get together and share experiences and raise our voices as people with chronic illness. But I think sometimes I've seen in your social media where People will wonder what's going. Okay, but you're so ill. How can you possibly be out doing something? Doing yeah. something. Yeah. Well, first of all, like I understand that. You know, you see things, and if you're just viewing something from from a few pictures or posts online, uh, sure, you can you can make that mistake or wonder what's going on. Totally understand. I always try to be very understanding of of where people are coming from. Um, I may not show that the best, but I do. Um, but I've always been, and this is just how I've always been, because I've I've pretty much been dealing with health issues my entire life. I've had good periods of time here and there, you know, but, but for the majority of time, I've been dealing with health conditions. But I've always been the person that, um, like, I'm going to do something. I'm not, like, I don't know. I've gone on trips the day after I've been discharged from the hospital. And I'm not talking like trips, like something crazy. I'm talking about, I flew to somebody's house to meet like my other friend who has a chronic illness on the internet. And we sat around in our pajamas all weekend and, you know, hung out, but it was the greatest time ever. Or, you know, um, coming to conferences like this. And, and that's pretty much what I, for the past five years, I guess, that's my getting out is coming to things like this. Um, but it's so worth it to me because I get to be around you guys and, and that's a different kind of healing. And we, we all laugh and, um, 
we we don't get crazy our our version of like hanging out and having fun is sitting in a hotel room in our pajamas all night and laughing our heads off you know um you and 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 i can be sick here um everybody's very accommodating especially when you're traveling to events for people who have chronic illness it's not like they're going to be like well why is she sick so you know i can if I needed to lay down all day, if I didn't show my face, if I was puking, whatever, I could do that here or I could do that at my house. Um, but I'm going to do my best to do it here because I love seeing you guys. And I have to try to do things like that's important. Like I'm, I'm going to try to do as much as I can every day that I can because I want quality of life and, and those things are important. So... You know, I, I guess that's the best way that I can answer it. Getting pushback online, um, that's that just comes with the territory of of being a public figure online. And I think Instagram is the place that, that happens most. I don't find that on, on my Facebook page or on Twitter or, or my website. But Instagram is its own thing. And I don't know what it is. I guess it's because it's a picture sharing thing. And, and so visually people judge you more on what you're sharing. Um, I also do this thing where I share pictures that are not of my current situation. So so people see a picture and they're like, oh, wow, she's dressed up and she has makeup on. She looks really pretty. And, and how is she like that? But like, it's just from the day that I took a series of like 10 pictures and I'm posting them throughout time um, because I don't want you guys to see what I really look like right now. So, so it's, 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 it's not reality. Social, social media is not reality. How can it ever be for somebody, you know? So judge me. I, I don't, I don't care for the most part. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I care. Sometimes I'm like, I see how many comments are on your Instagram and I'm like, oh, I'm not reading that. You know, because I'm like, I, I will feel compelled to defend, you know, um, sometimes it's funny because I've been called uh, like the anti of IBD, you know, things like that. So, so sometimes I feel very maternal towards you guys. So when I see things like that, but I know that you all can take care of yourself. So and, I just oh, like, we, I leave it alone. We all push, push, like how many times have all of us gotten together and somebody has, like, we've had to drive somebody to the hospital or somebody's, oh my you know, like, we all push ourselves. Like, nobody gets, like, that we're probably <laughs> struggling really bad while we're all here, too. It's just that we we want to be together so bad and we want to advocate so bad because this is a passion of ours. And and it, it, it makes us feel so good to to be taking our situation and, and our experience being sick and, and going through everything that we did. And then you can use that for good. And that feels great. And I'm like, of course I want to be here. I'm going to do my best to be here. And, and our whole group, something happens every time with somebody. It, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> somebody usually ends up in the hospital. Uh, hopefully not this time. Yeah. I think we're all doing pretty Let's, well. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. Hopefully. I was uh, listening to a different podcast that I listen to sometimes um, that's called uh, Pod Save the People. And that's about uh, activism and advocacy. And one of the things that they talked about on one of their episodes that I was just listening to this morning before you came over was about not getting beaten down and that even though you have work to do and it's serious work, and you're trying so hard 
to help people while taking care of yourself, that you still have to find some joy somewhere in your life. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get burned out and then you're not helping anyone. Yes. So true. I think that's a thing that a lot of advocates don't talk about a lot because it's it's scary to go online and say, I, I, I have compassion fatigue when, when you're telling that to the people that your audience are the people that you're helping. But yeah, you have to find joy in life so that you don't burn out and you're not experiencing compassion fatigue. And then and then you just don't want to help other people because you've you've had enough. Right. Yeah. And none of us want that. So, no. yeah, these events are definitely invigorating. Yeah. Um, when I go back to my desk and uh, my house where I sit and write every day by myself, <laughs> yeah. which gets a little, you know, gets a little, it's the life that I've chosen, but it does yeah. get a little isolating at times. It does help me that I've just come back from a conference or I have a conference next month. It propels me to keep moving Same. forward. Yes. I come home and I'm, I, I just feel so, I don't know. It's just, it's a lift. It's, it's so, we are so lucky. We are so blessed because not many patients get this experience where they even know one other person who has Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. And we have this huge group and it, it, it's healing in so many ways. You know, at first it's just meeting somebody else who has it. And then it's like hearing everybody's story. But now like we get together and we we barely talk about that stuff. We're just like being silly, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're so lucky to experience this and have a big group of people and, and get to come home and feel, feel like a hundred times better just for being amongst being our friends and laughing and, and being silly and I know. stuff. <laughs> last, night, <laughs> last night at dinner, I sat down at the table and I was like, you guys, I don't want to talk about IBD anymore today. <laughs> like, I'm done. Can we just like talk about other stuff? And we did. We talked about a lot of other stuff. Right, right. That's where we are now yeah. in our group is like IBD doesn't get talked about as like uh, at all really sometimes right. well, not I mean specifically but yeah it, it generally but usually we're talking about like what we've got going on like right, you're talking about meeting other patients and that um a lot of us are working on uh trying to get uh funding and and get things going so that we can have more patient meetups yeah that it's not yeah, um sort hard. of a more selective thing that we can that any patient can come to. Right. So I'm hoping that some of these some of these things can come to fruition. But oh, yeah. oh, I've been trying for years to to do the meetups that I did years ago, but yeah. they're very expensive. If they you're, are. I mean, we're just we're patients. You know, we are just yeah. people trying to do things for others, and a lot of it comes out of our own money, which. I don't know about you, but I don't have much. So I had Well, that was because of all those fancy tests you had. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's my antroduodenal manometry test. Oh, my gosh. That Which is the worst test I've like ever done. Like you, I thought IBD tests were bad. Oh, my God. And I'm pretty resilient. Like, you can do a lot to me. Ask me to swallow, a, like, tons of tubes today. I'll do that. Like, you can stick tubes up my butt in my mouth. Down my, You know, like, you get used you to get it used after to it, a while. Unfortunately. We've been doing it for a yeah. long time. So I walked in thinking, oh, and the, and the great thing was is they never told me how the test. They told me nothing about it. So Maybe that's better. <laughs> I thought maybe they did that on purpose. Yeah. But, yeah, it was... I walked in having no idea what the test was going to be, and it was 
so hard. Like I've never come back from any like a procedure or anything feeling that way. And the longest time it was really difficult because they stick. So they stick a tube that has five smaller pressure sensor tubes inside of it and they put it they you make they make you swallow it but you don't swallow it how you do like ng tubes where it goes up your nose and you swallow it down because it's not flexible so it can't get past like your nose and start curving down so you have to swallow it through your mouth like it's going down your throat and it's a bigger tube your body just wants to fight against that like we're naturally made to like gag and push it out so my body was like fighting me to like not swallow this tube and they're pushing it down and then once they get it down they have to get all the five pressure sensors into different parts of your GI tract and so the way that they do that is they make you lay on a table under fluoroscopy and they just start like in and out with these tubes like moving them to different parts of your digestive tract (laughs) it was not easy especially when you are already sick yeah exactly so but I got it over with and yeah. I only have to do it once in my life. So yeah. one and done. And it gave me a lot of answers. So thankful for that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were able to describe it too. So anyone else that is uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. facing that. No, but anyone else who is told that they need that test, yeah. they can have uh, a, a description from a patient as to what it's like, not well, like a clinical description. I have found that other hospitals do it differently and <laughs> seemingly easier because a lot of oh. hospitals will put you to sleep oh. when they put the tube down. Um, my hospital doesn't like to because they feel like the sedation, and, and this is probably true, the sedation will have an effect on your motility. Oh, I'm sure that's true. So it might slow it down, you know. So there is a reason why it was done the way that it was done, but right. other places might do it different. And also you might be a little more complicated than Yeah, I have a really interesting insides. Your insides are interesting. Yeah, they're different. <laughs> like how many people have a J-pouch? Not like everybody. So that's yeah, one thing they don't one. see every day. And then yeah. I have like the rarest motility disease that you can have. So it's always a fun time when I'm dealing with medical people that, that don't know me. Oh, ugh. That is, you know, that is that's my a PTSD whole, thing. That's yeah. a whole other that's an episode. topic. Yeah. That's a whole other episode need to for next write time. That, write that down. For I know, right? Something. Well, now I have it recorded, so... Uh, We'll set up a time. And now, you guys, let's tell you about the days before biologics. <laughs> <laughs> Let me set the scene. 1989. Four Detroit, four. Michigan. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's wrap it up. But I want you to tell everybody all of your social media handles. Okay. All right. Well, you can find me. So my website, pretty much if you Google inflamed and untamed, you're going to find me. My website is inflamedanduntamed.com but there's hyphens in between the words I shouldn't have picked it that way but that's what I did Um, you can find me at Sarah S-A-R-A no H because that's the real way to spell Sarah Sarah no offense to other Sarahs yeah sorry Sarahs (laughs) with an H but my name is not Sarah Um, (laughs) you can find me at Sarah underscore ringer R-I-N-G-E-R on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook I'm just inflamed and untamed so and I'll put everything in the show notes as well but it's helpful to Google me you'll find me somehow just use the Google then use the trail you know you land on one thing you'll find the other things just keep going I know Thanks for coming in. It 
eight o'clock in the morning to yeah, record with me. Thanks for having me. I'm lucky that I woke up because my alarm didn't go off. <laughs> Sarah's very punctual. I want everyone to know. I am. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about me is I, I cannot know. stand people being I late. And eight I o'clock. I can't you be late. My, you were at my door. I was here. And I'm digging it. I'm in my pajamas, right. but I'm here. That's fine. So am I. Hey. Yeah. What the heck? All right. Nobody can see us. Super listener, thanks for hanging in with us. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We had a really good time, the two of us, hanging out at Healthy Voices. It was at 8 o'clock in the morning, which maybe wasn't the best time in retrospect. But since we are both morning people, it did work out in the end. So please remember to keep in mind that what you see on social media is not necessarily real life. And how we all see our own individual disease journeys is different and that's wonderful and we should celebrate that and we need to get that out in front of people in the general public who aren't in the IBD space so that they better understand what we live with every day. Thanks again for listening. Thank you so much to my guest, Sarah Ringer of Inflamed and Untamed. You can find her everywhere on the web, like she said, by searching for Inflamed and Untamed. And you can always find me everywhere as About IBD. I'll see you again next time. And until then, remember, I want you to know more about IBD.